This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. I maintain that theology is a science, which may surprise some who are used to thinking about sciences as subjects like biology and geology. In order to argue for theology as a science, we'll have three steps in this evening's lecture. First, we'll think about the definition of science. What is a science? Then, second, we will think with St. Thomas Aquinas about the meaning of what he calls sacra doctrina, sacred teaching, as a science, and show how theology has qualities of other sciences. Third, we will connect how just as those who study certain sciences need particular aptitudes, virtues, and conditions, so too theologians require certain aptitudes, virtues, and conditions to do their work well. After the lecture, we'll have some time for questions and answers and all sorts of discussion. We begin first with simply science. What's a science? The English word science derives from the Latin word scientia. Scientia comes from the Latin verb scio, I know. The term scientia means knowledge. Now, there are different kinds of scientia, different kinds of topics of knowledge and systems or disciplines of knowledge. Now, in the university today, you can think about what disciplines are called sciences. Sometimes people will talk about hard sciences or soft sciences. Sometimes people will divide sciences in terms of, say, physical sciences, such as astronomy, physics, chemistry, biological sciences, such as biology and medicine social sciences, such as anthropology and economics. There are all sorts of kinds of science. And so I'm going to give a proposed definition for a science, and then you can either agree or disagree. It has several parts to it, and each of the parts will be integral in terms of the, the lecture this evening. So a science in this proposition is a body of knowledge that has a subject matter, a formality or perspective, principles, a discipline of rigor, a way of determining truth and falsity in particular problems or cases, competing and complementary theories or schools of thought and approaches, and a purpose or benefit for us. Any particular science is also in relation to other kinds of sciences. Okay, so that there's, our, there's like a family of sciences. What I'd like for us to do now is to go through each of these parts of the definition and just think about what it means in terms of, say, university studies. And then in part two, we're going to go to St. Thomas Aquinas's way of looking at sacra doctrina, the sacred teaching, this theology as a science, and then flesh this out more. First part of it is simply a body of knowledge. So a science is a body of knowledge. It's an organized system of truths that can be apprehended. Now notice that the emphasis is in terms of our intellect and that there is something of the apprehension, that science is something that you have truths that you learn and that you can think about. That's different from art. All the different kinds of art are productions, things that are made, okay? So in terms of all the different kinds of art, 
These are things that are made, whereas science especially is about truths apprehended. Again, it's knowledge. So science is knowledge. And then it's an organized system of truths in the knowledge. So that's why in terms of sometimes people will talk about a discipline because of an organization in Latin disciplina, and uh, that this is an organized way of thinking about things that then can be learned. The second part of this definition is considering a subject matter. So a science has a particular subject matter, you know, the subject of blank, or we could also call it an object. Several sciences end with the, with the phrase ology, and that goes back to the Greek word logos. Logos in Greek uh, can mean word, it can be reason, it can be a sort of study. And that's why so many times that people, when they hear of something ology, it is then a study of blank. So biology is a study of life. Geology, a study of the earth. Okay, so that's where in terms of that it has a definite subject or, or object there. Another part of this definition is formality or perspective. Now, this is why I have not just simply a matter of a subject matter, an object, but how is it approached? What's the particular viewpoint of this? Take, for example, the subject matter or object of the human being. The human being is the subject of all sorts of sciences. All right, so the human being can be the subject of biology, sports medicine, cultural anthropology, clinical psychology, urban sociology, criminology. You know, you could go on and on and on about how the human being in different ways is being studied in that science. But each science studies human beings under more particular viewpoints or considerations with various means appropriate to that formality. All right, so this is why in terms of, say, sports medicine and criminology, that they're both doing things concerning human life, but those are very different perspectives or formalities. Okay, so in terms of sports medicine, in terms of what's especially needed for athletes, in terms of the medical science, and then criminology, in terms of things about, well, criminals. Uh, and then in terms of what, how does society define crimes, uh, punishments, uh, all those sorts of things, well, both of them are about human beings, all right? But it's a particular viewpoint or perspective. Another aspect of this definition is principles. Every science has a body of truths or statements accepted, either inherent to the science or borrowed from a higher, or you could say a more basic science. Okay, so in terms of that there are these principles that uh, are either just found within that science or that they are borrowed from something that is more basic or you could say higher. Another aspect to this definition is a discipline of rigor. So there's a way of conducting a science that has rules uh, in a way that the rules need to be respected in order to be scientific. Okay, so you can think about laboratory work and how you need a discipline of rigor to make sure that the 
tests or something like that would be conducted in a way that would respect the common rules so that what you do in your lab um, can also be compared with what people do in their lab in Germany or China or Kenya. Okay, so in terms of a shared discipline of rigor. Another one would be determining truth and falsity in particular problems or cases. So a science often deals with problematic situations or cases so that you have an abstraction from particulars that then you can see in terms of what's going on, uh, that what is true and false, and then applications of it to uh, these, these problems. So learning what is and was not in a problem or an unknown. Another aspect to a science is to consider this in terms of competing and complementary theories or schools of thought, right? So notice how I, I'm distinguishing competing theories and complementary theories, theories or schools of thought. So that within the science, particularly in terms of different areas, that you can have different interpretations that compete against one another. And so then these are rival schools of interpretation within the science, or that they could be complementary. And sometimes, well, this by if you take this point of view of the science, it will yield this. But if you take the other point of view of the science, it will yield that. And they're not contradictory to one another, but they could be complementary. But oftentimes the science will have either competing or complementary theories. Another point in this definition is purpose or benefit for us. The human race, which is distinguished among the animals by rationality, is in some way enriched by science, right? So this is where if you are studying a particular science, you yourself uh, should be enriched in some way because uh, the human being is a knowing creature. We want to know, okay? So this is really basic about human life. We really want to know. We want to know the truth. And then how in terms of the purpose or benefit that when we study a science, it's not just simply benefiting our own lives, as important that, as that may be, but especially if we want to use that science in some ways, whether it be teaching or in implementing or sharing in different ways, that we see that there's a benefit or a purpose for the human race. And then the final thought here in terms of a definition is in relation to other sciences. Sciences are related to one another and can be traced back through principles to other sciences or that they touch the work of other sciences. Also, sciences may help other disciplines that are not sciences, strictly speaking. And again, you can get into debates about what is a science and what isn't a science in the, in the disciplines of a university. Engineering, for example, applies sciences to problems in order to assist the human race, such as in chemical engineering, civil engineering, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, okay? So again, in terms of just thinking about a sort of definition of a science, my proposed definition that we consider is, a science is a body of knowledge that has a subject matter, a formality or perspective, principles, a discipline of rigor, a way of determining truth and falsity in particular problems or cases, competing and complementary theories or schools of thought and approaches, and a purpose or benefit for us. Any particular science is also in relation to other kinds of science. That was step one. 
Step two, now we go to St. Thomas Aquinas and learn about his way of teaching science through and establishing in the question on the nature and extent of sacred doctrina, sacred teaching about its scientific character. Okay, so is theology a science? The very first article of the entire Summa of Theology asks whether besides philosophy, other teachings are necessary. Okay, so St. Thomas is presupposing that we have a science called philosophy. Now, the word philosophy means literally from the Greek, love of wisdom, love of wisdom. And philosophy is really broad. In fact, some people say that philosophy is in some sense the mother of all the other sciences. And then just within philosophy, you can think about the importance of logic. And that, you know, in terms of knowing, how can you know something if it's illogical? All right, so philosophy then has a sort of breadth and depth that's just extraordinary. And so is there something that can be uh, different from philosophy? St. Thomas entertains in the second objection this concern. A teaching can be concerned only with being, for nothing can be known save what is true, and all that is, is true. But everything that is, is treated of in philosophical science, even God himself. So that there is a part of philosophy called theology, or the divine science, as Aristotle has proved in Book 6 of the Metaphysics. Therefore, besides philosophical science, there is no need of any further knowledge. All right, so... This is where, in terms of St. Thomas, going back to Aristotle, who was a very scientific man in terms of his philosophical approach to, uh, to life, that, that uh, it seems for some that there's just nothing other than philosophical science, because actually philosophical science can, covers everything, covers everything uh, in different ways about knowledge. It even covers things of God. Okay, because you can find a part of philosophy that deals with God. And by the way, sometimes people call this natural theology as opposed to sacred theology. Now, listen to what St. Thomas does in his second reply. So replying to this objection, this is St. Thomas's stance. St. Thomas says, sciences are differentiated according to the various means through which knowledge is obtained. For the astronomer and the physicist both may prove the same conclusion that the earth, for instance, is round. The astronomer by means of mathematics, that is abstracting from matter, but the physicist by means of matter itself. Hence, there is no reason why those things which may be learned from philosophical science, so far as they can be known by natural reason, may not also be taught by another science, so far as they fall within revelation. Hence, theology included in sacred doctrine differs in kind from that theology which is part of philosophy. Right? So notice that St. Thomas is establishing this, and he gives a lovely example about how two different sciences can prove that the earth is round. St. Thomas is living in the 13th century. This would indicate that those who are educated in the 13th century would obviously think that the earth is round. Right? So in fact, in Latin, one of the ways of talking about the Earth is orbis terrarum, orbis terrarum, so an orb, okay, round. Uh, so, because a lot of people in modern times uh, just thought that, that there would be something in terms of flatness, and that was not 
that was not taken seriously. Okay, and in fact, St. Thomas says, you can prove that the earth is round by two different ways. All right. But the point of it is that he wants us to know that even if philosophy can say certain things about God, that theology, that there can be something else that can consider this through different means. And what's the key word here? Revelation. All right, so that theology has the means of God revealing himself. And God's plan. Now we're going to get to Article Two, right? So the question, the first question of the Summa of Theology has ten articles. The first article is whether, besides philosophy, other teachings are necessary. So Saint Thomas is going to say yes. And if we had time, we'd see that this particular way of of thinking, uh, of having a sacred teaching, is necessary. Why? Because of the salvation of souls. All right, because our we need to know where we're going. If I tell you, go, uh, and you might want to go, you might want to ask, where? All right? So this is where, in terms of our life, our life is a journey. Where are you going? All right? So you are going somewhere in terms of your thinking, in terms of your living. God reveals himself. So that way we can direct our life to God that we can direct our thoughts to God, that we can direct everything to God because God has revealed himself to us as the one who has created us and the one who is sustaining us and the one who is our end, that we, that we want to go to him. Okay, he's, he's the destination. Right now, so, that, so that's what St. Thomas does in the first article. The second article asks whether sacred teaching is a science. Okay, so this is actually the, the great question of the lecture, whether sacred teaching is a science. St. Thomas in the body of the article says sacred teaching is a science. We must bear in mind that there are two kinds of sciences. There are some which proceed from a principle known by the natural light of intelligence, such as arithmetic and geometry and the like. Okay, so you can think about in terms of learning about what makes a triangle. Okay, and so things about the triangle. Well, that'd be proper to, to the geometry. There are some which proceed from principles known by the light of a higher science. Thus, the science of perspective proceeds from principles established by geometry and music from principles established by arithmetic. Right, so St. Thomas is saying that there are two different kinds of sciences. Some sciences may have their principles within them, and other sciences have principles that are given by a higher science, or what you could say is a, a more basic science. St. Thomas continues, so it is that sacred science, so the sacred doctrine, this holy teaching, is a science because it proceeds from principles established by the light of a higher science, namely, the science of God and the blessed. Oh my. Okay, so now what St. Thomas is doing is he's saying, yes. This is a science because it's borrowing its principles from a higher science. And what's the higher science? Remember the word science, scientia in Latin means knowledge. The knowledge of God and of the blessed. That this work of theology, the sacred teaching here on earth, is completely dependent upon the knowledge that God has eternally and those blessed the uh, Our Lady, the angels, the saints, all those who are blessed in heaven, who now see God face to face, that this 
way of doing theology then is dependent upon what is known in heaven because God has revealed it to us. St. Thomas continues, since just as the musician accepts on authority the principles taught him by the mathematician, so sacred science is established on principles revealed by God. All right, let's just think about this in terms of the rigor of music. Music, again, is completely dependent upon what? Mathematics. Okay, so you could be doing math class. Okay, you're, you're in math class and you're not singing, right? You're not, uh, you're not playing an instrument. You're doing math. But if you were to go then to, uh, to uh, the music room and you start singing or you start playing your instrument, you would be applying mathematical principles. Okay, so just think of it in terms of a whole note, a half note, a quarter note. Think of intervals, you know, the different kinds of sounds. Now, I'd like for us to think about this more. Every science has principles. Some sciences have principles from within that science and known by our intelligence, such as arithmetic. Other sciences have principles that are received from a higher science, such as music reliance on arithmetic. Now, St. Thomas goes on to say, if you had the time to read all of question one of the Summa, he goes on to say that the science is one because of the same formality by which all things are studied. Whatever is studied in theology has been revealed by God. All right, so that's the formality. So we go back to the human being. Remember the human being can be studied in all sorts of subjects. In theology, how do we study the human being? We study the human being based upon God's revelation. So Genesis chapter one, in the image of God, God created man. Male and female, he created him. Okay, so just in terms of the image and likeness of God, that's been revealed to us. We read this in Genesis chapter one, or in terms of Jesus Christ, that in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of the law. Okay, so Galatians chapter four, you know, or John chapter one, the word was made flesh. That we then we have a, a new understanding of the, of the human creature, not just because of the image in which we were created in Genesis 1, but now because of Christ, right? Both of those are different kinds of revelation, which really give us a new perspective and mark out what theological anthropology is meant to do, right? So, so whatever in, in, is studied in theology has been revealed by God. Now, God reveals himself to us, and he also reveals things that he created. We can know something about God and about things without revelation, but this sacred teaching of God gives us much more than what we could ever know by reason alone. And the greatest example of this is the Trinity. You can never get to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit simply by doing tests in the laboratory. Okay, you just can't. Uh, there's no other science, not even philosophy, can get to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This has been revealed to, to us because of the missions of the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right, now let's go back to my proposed definition, all right? My proposed definition, and to look at all these things, and, and can we say, can we mark it with a check mark, so to speak, about theology? So theology is a science, yes. And in fact, an argument could be made, it's the most important science. It's the most important science. Well, how? Well, let's look at it in terms of body of knowledge. This body of knowledge is not just simply about the earth, okay? It's not simply about life. This body of knowledge 
is a system of truths about the most basic truths, Trinity. Okay, so this is the chief and central mystery of Christian faith. Uh, this is the highest of all truths, uh, the, the most holy trinity, and Christ's humanity. So St. Thomas Aquinas, when he looks at theology, says that these are the two mysteries that govern everything in theology, the eternal trinity and then the temporal humanity of Christ. Okay, everything else flows from that. And notice then, because Christ is one of the trinity, it all does go back to the trinity. And then uh, that this is a system of truths with some basic truths or highest truths, Trinity and Christ humanity, and then others depending on the, upon the basic ones in terms of this ordering of knowledge, and that this is apprehended, okay? So it's not simply, it's not an art, okay? So you're not making something or producing something. It's apprehending, knowing. Two, subject matter. Well, does this have a particular subject matter? Yes, that subject matter is God and all things in relation to God as the beginning and end of all things. Theology, if you were to break it down in terms of the Greek, would be study of theos, God. And then let's face it, what is more important than God? Okay, so this is where in terms of just what we're studying, this is God himself. And then all things in relation to God. Formality of perspective, God's revelation, that's higher than reason or nature, and it's a special vantage point from God's own side of everything. So sometimes a scientist may say, well, can you look at it from my perspective? Okay, look at this in, through the microscope. Here, let, let me show you what I see through the microscope. What if God were to say to us, come over here. Let me show you things from my perspective. What would that mean for you? What would that mean in terms of, come on, I can show you things from my perspective, not in terms of a microscope, but in terms of the eternal love. God is love and the eternal love that is at work in the world now. Okay, so in terms of just thinking about the wonder of that, his perspective, the God's eye view, the God's heart love principles. Theology's dependence on the knowledge of God and the blessed in heaven and then how there's an articulation of this um, most basic knowledge in what we call the articles of faith. The articles of faith are collected together in the creed, also called the symbol of faith. And so that these are the first principles for theological work. If you wanna do theology, you need to believe. And how do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Okay, notice that that the creed that Christians recite then is the very basic core of theological work. If you reject those principles, in fact, if you reject just one of those most basic principles, you're not doing real theology. Just like somebody in another science, if you reject certain principles of that science, you know, you may be, you may think that you're doing some work, but you really aren't. In fact, then going on to the next or a discipline of rigor. So there's a searching out and questioning about what God has revealed on the sacred page. What do I mean by sacred page? Well, that's the classical sense of talking about the Bible. And in the 13th century, the sacred page had not simply the words of, the, of what we call the Bible. It would have commentary by the holy doctors, what we call the fathers of the church and a particular tradition. Because you didn't find the Bible, sacred scripture, without tradition. 
And you didn't find sacred tradition without sacred scripture. The two um, come, uh, are basically flowing together, communicating divine revelation. All right, so that you have then a searching out, a questioning about what God is. Because Matthew 7, 7, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open to you, is applied in the Christian tradition, especially in terms of what we would call theology. Ask, seek, knock, all right? Because it's, it's a matter of a, uh, of a discipline of rigor and to be able to, to study it, okay? Determining truth and falsity, okay? So in, in considering problems, determining what is true and right, what is false and wrong. So theologians have a responsibility to say, that position is wrong and this other position is right. So this is where there is such a thing as truth and there, there are all falsities. Every falsity, by the way, would have some truth in it because every falsity exists. Uh, but truth um, can exist without any falsity, okay? So every falsity may have something a little bit right about it, but truth, in order for it to be true, is wholly, integrally true. Now, what if theologians or theological schools make big mistakes? Well, we have the church's magisterium. The church's magisterium is uh, very important for the work of theology, of the, of the science of theology, because the church's magisterium is blessed by the Holy Spirit to preserve without error the saving doctrine, the saving deposit of faith, and to make sure to communicate that in pastoral charity to our souls. So the church's magisterium checks the discipline and, by the way, individual theologians at times. Another part of that definition was competing and complementary schools of thought. Okay, so you can take it the different kinds of sciences where you know of competing and complementary schools of approaches. Well, St. Thomas had St. Bonaventure. Uh, so St. Thomas was a Dominican friar. St. Bonaventure was a Franciscan friar. Both of them died in the year 1274. They're both doctors of the church, both great uh, saints, both great theologians. They do not have the same school of thought. All right. So this is where in terms of the Dominican school of thought, the Franciscan school of thought, Okay, it's, they're in different ways complementary, all right? So at times you can see little things that would say, mm, these aren't complementary, they're competing, okay? Um, in the late 16th and early 17th centuries, Jesuits and Dominicans fought in theology in what's called the De Auxilis controversy, a controversy about grace. And we said of each other that these are competing schools of thought and that one is right and the other is wrong. By the way, the Jesuits were wrong. All right. Now, uh, the Pope uh, in the early 17th century said, stop it, stop it, stop it. You can't call each other heretics over this. So the Pope then determined that these were complementary, in this language, complementary schools of thought. All right. Anyway, so, uh, so we, we don't call each other heretical, uh, to be heretical over this particular aspect of, of that. Another, purpose, another point is purpose or benefit. That there's a purpose or a benefit in theology, and that is our salvation in knowing and loving God. Wow. Okay, so this is where in terms of just, like, again, how outstanding this is, that God reveals himself to us, not because God gains anything, because God does not gain anything, right? God is completely, infinitely happy 
without us, but that he in his utter generosity wants to share his happiness with us. And so our theological work is something that can help us as individual theologians, as those who are studying theology, and actually the church and the world, all right? Because I do theological work for the church and the church exists in the world. And we say, come, okay, we want people. Uh, we want all sorts of people to listen to Thomistic Institute podcasts. Uh, we want all sorts of people to be able to, to listen to this and then to be drawn by the sacred truth in our contemporary world. The final point of, the, of this in terms of just connecting uh, my proposed definition of, of a science to theology is in relation to other sciences. Uh, a word that is important in the Thomistic tradition about the science of sacred theology is subaltern. Okay, so that there's this idea, the subaltern means that it is below the knowledge of God and the blessed in heaven, right? So that it is completely reliant upon these higher principles. And also in terms of just thinking about theology's relation to other sciences, that's related to philosophy and in a sense, all other kinds of knowledge because it's about, uh, about God's revelation. And that in one way or another, that everything goes back to God, all right? And that God reveals himself. So that's my claim in terms of a proposed definition of science, and then how with St. Thomas, we can think about that. What I'd like for us to do before we go to questions and answers is go to the third step, conditions and virtues for practicing the science. Oh. Conditions and virtues? Yes. All sorts of sciences have prerequisites. You cannot advance to molecular biology if you have not done general biology. If you do not want to work in a lab, you will avoid certain sciences that have lab work. You may need to achieve a certain degree of proficiency to be chosen to advance to a particular science. All right, so in terms of doing a doctorate, you know, the, uh, to be able to do a doctor in particular science, kind of science, uh, that it's not simply about, oh, I want to do it, but that you're actually chosen in a, in a special way, right? Because you have the credentials or, or whatever, it, uh, or whatever is, is there. Now, theology presupposes God's initiative received by us in faith. In order for one not only to work on theological matters, but even to be a true theologian, one needs a vocation from God in the church, okay? So in order to be a true theologian, one needs a vocation from God in the church. Now, when uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI was Cardinal Prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, back in the year 1990, uh, there was a document called Donum Veritatis. In Latin, it means the gift of truth. In English, it's commonly called the instruction on the ecclesial vocation of the theologian. The instruction on the ecclesial vocation of the theologian. I'd like for us just to touch upon a couple points here. And by the way, I think it was this, this was especially needed because there were all sorts of bad theology, right? So they were, the, the church was especially interested in what's called dissent. So when theologians publicly refuse certain principles, certain basics of the science of theology. Number six from the instruction. Among the vocations awakened in this way by the spirit in the church is that of the theologian. His role is to pursue in a particular way an ever deeper understanding of the word of God, 
found in the inspired scriptures and handed on by the living tradition of the church. He does this in communion with the magisterium, which has been charged with the responsibility of preserving the deposit of faith. By its nature, faith appeals to reason because it reveals to man the truth of his destiny and the way to attain it. Revealed truth, to be sure, surpasses our telling. All our concepts fall short of its ultimately unfathomable grandeur. Nonetheless, revealed truth beckons reason, God's gift fashioned for the assimilation of truth, to enter into its light and thereby, and thereby come to understand in a certain measure what it has believed. So notice, to understand in a certain measure what it has believed. So according to St. Saint, uh, Saint Anselm of Canterbury, it's called faith seeking understanding. The CDF continues, theological science responds to the invitation of truth as it seeks to understand the faith. It thereby aids the people of God in fulfilling the apostles' command to give an accounting for their hope to those who ask it. Okay, so you see then how there is uh, this theological science responding to the invitation of truth to seek to understand the faith that is given. The, the faith then has the basics of revelation, but theology needs to seek to, to understand, to do work there. I'll just choose one more passage from this instruction, number nine. Through the course of centuries, theology has progressively developed into a true and proper science. Okay, now the claim here is that in the early centuries of the church, there isn't the same idea of science as say you find in the 13th century with St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay, so theology has progressed, developed, progressively developed into true and proper science. The theologian must therefore be attentive to the epistemological requirements of his discipline, to the demands of rigorous critical standards, and thus to a rational verification of each stage of his research. The obligation to be critical, however, should not be identified with the critical spirit, which is born of feeling or prejudice. The theologian must discern in himself the origin of and motivation for his critical attitude and allow his gaze to be purified by faith. The commitment to theology requires a spiritual effort to grow in virtue and holiness. Oh my. Okay, so notice that, that the church here is using this word critical. Okay, so all sorts of sciences love the word critical. Mm, oh, good, critical, this is critical. Uh, so in terms of, of doing something that is critical, um, well, uh, the church does not want us to have a critical attitude in theology in a way that would be a matter of a prejudice. Rather, that it is a critical way of looking at this carefully and then subjectively to grow in virtue and holiness. So here's my commentary on this in terms of uh, the theologian's uh, uh, aptitude and virtues and conditions. You know, so a theologian needs the virtues. A theologian needs the three theological virtues, faith, open charity. You know, obviously faith in terms of, of uh, under, uh, receiving what is revealed, hope. That you, that you think that God is good in the midst of all these terrible things, charity, you know, that God is love and he's calling us to be deified, to be transformed by his love. And then besides the theological virtues, you can think about the four cardinal virtues. So prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, 
all these things in different ways uh, have a special meaning when doing theological work. And then you could have special emphases on virtues such as humility. A theologian needs, hum needs to be humble or studiousness. Okay, so that in terms of staying at your desk and to be able to continue to think and pray and to work on problems and prayerfulness. Okay, so in terms of especially asking God uh, to help your study. A theologian also needs freedom. Okay, freedom. Freedom from sinful attachments or a merely human way of thinking to accept God in order to accept God on his own terms. If you are a theologian and you are, have all sorts of sinful attachments, then you're not going to see certain things. Right? The, the fathers of the church very much stressed that in order to do this right, uh, that you need to be purified. Or in terms of that all sorts of people may just go back to a merely human way of thinking. Right? But, but God's way of thinking is different from our way of thinking. And theology wants us, again, to see how this is from God's point of view, because God invites us to us to that. A theologian works in the church in a bond with the church's magisterium. So rather than the magisterium being a competitor to theological work, the magisterium is like a judge. Okay, so you can think about playing sports and how if you are playing tennis and you want to treat the tennis as a football, well you know, uh, there better be someone there who'll say, no, okay, you can't do that. Uh, you can't just throw the ball over the court. You need to use your racket, okay? So sometimes in theological work, somebody will do something that just, well, well how did you do that? Well, that, that's, not, that's not a matter of Catholic theology. That's not a matter of Christian theology. You, and sometimes people then will compare this to games, okay? You're not playing the game. All right, so we're trying to play, we have, we have rules. So notice then you, you go from a science to a game. But in different ways, you can see how the, the principles continue. Thomas doesn't say that theology is a, is a game, all right? But, but it can be helpful for us to look at this from that other perspective. And then that, this is for our contemplating God and for assisting others to reach the end of contemplating God. And this sort of contemplation is especially a union in charity. Okay, so that ultimately that we, by God's love, can be purified because St. Augustine says, what can you love that you do not know? Okay, how can you love what you do not know? So that the knowledge of God through theology can help us who do the theology, and in fact, the church, the world even, to come and to know and love God. All right, so those are my three steps for our work in this lecture in terms of biology, geology, theology. Theology is a science. And the three steps were, one, to go back to what's a science? And I gave a very complicated, uh, multi-part definition of science. And then two, I went to St. Thomas Aquinas, and particularly his question one of the great Summa of theology, where he looks at sacred teaching, this sacred theology as a science, and then three, I went to another step in terms of conditions and virtues for practicing the science. And I especially wanted us to hear from uh, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, Donum Veritatis, instruction on the ecclesial vocation of the theologian. So thank you very much. And now we have some time for questions and answers and discussion. Hello, Father Andrew. Thank you very much for your talk.
it was enlightening in all of the wonderful, most wonderful ways. I had a question regarding uh, some of the history of thinking about theology as a science. So you mentioned at some point the, the nature of apprehension um, and kind of when referring to Article 9 of um, Donum Veritatus, that, that there was kind of a development over time. And it left me wondering if you could comment more on St. Thomas Aquinas uh, and his role in and maybe bringing theology more into a particular uh, rigor, um, particularly by integrating Aristotle and some of his principles, um, and whether or not uh, that is a kind of development that continues today, um, but mostly how kind of the scholastic tradition might have approached theology differently in this regard. Great, it's a wonderful question, thank you. So I'd like first to go back to the fourth century there is an important monk by the name of Evagrius who comes from the region of Pontus. So sometimes he's called Evagrius Ponticus. And he has a definition of the, of the theologian. He says, the theologian is one who prays truly and the one who prays truly is a theologian. All right, so that theology then is basically uh, true prayer. Theology is true prayer. Now, uh, there are different ways of considering this. Uh, what St. Thomas has in the 13th century that is particularly advantageous is this tradition of a developing scholasticism. Now, scholasticism can be found in all sorts of religions and philosophies. Okay, so, uh, so I once did a study uh, that borrowed from in, uh, Indo-Tibetan Buddhist scholasticism just to get people to think about how there are other kinds of scholasticism besides what we find in, say, 12th and 13th century universities. But that Thomas, living in the 13th century, benefited from the scholastic approach where they had more and more a rigor in the thinking and that, uh, that Aristotle's posterior analytics uh, were translated into Latin and that then Thomas then was able to go back to Aristotle, and by the way, Bonaventure did too, okay? So, uh, so, so all sorts of scholastics then were borrowing from Aristotle and applying what he was saying about science, uh, about different kinds of knowledge to the reality of what they were doing in the Christian university, particularly at the University of Paris. And so this was very helpful and so, uh, so just in terms of thinking about how St. Thomas has a great reliance upon the creed through an Aristotelian way of considering principles. So for St. Thomas, he, he read St. So Thomas read Aristotle about principles, and then he came to have a greater articulation than some other scholastics of his time about how, okay, these principles in the theological work that we see, we see them as articulated, that these are the articles of faith and they're collected together in the creed. And by the way, it's the Pope who has special responsibility for propounding that creed, okay? So in terms of making sure that the Pope didn't make the creed up, okay? But the Pope is especially governing and issuing that. Now, in terms of just thinking about the con continuity of this, that if you were to go to a university today, say a Catholic university and study theology, that you would find things that would be actually uh, influenced by a particular German tradition. Uh, 
all sorts of things in theology that we think um, uh, are, say, very traditional, were mediated through a German Lutheran scholasticism. So the word Christology. Nobody used the word Christology until Lutheran German scholastics made it up. Okay. So St. Thomas, which we'll talk about Thomas's Christology. Thomas never had the word Christology. Okay. So this is where in terms of, of the German tradition, because what they did was they wanted to separate things more. For Thomas, theology is one. Well, based upon, and then notice that the German university system is what's very influential in terms of uh, England and the North America and the rest of the world, that, that you have these divisions of the sciences that in some way can be traced back to the modern German university and then how sciences gave birth to other sciences. Uh, and so this affects theology. So if you go to say a major department of theology today, you may need to specialize immediately. So if you're doing doctoral work, okay, so are you going to do systematic theology? It used to be known as dogmatic theology. Uh, sometimes people call it constructive theology. Sometimes it's something else. People have different ways of talking about this, you know, but systematic theology, you historical theology, that you could do um, the biblical theology, or you could say Christianity and Judaism in antiquity. Okay, so, and notice then that the Bible for St. Thomas is at the very core of his theological work, but it can be separated from systematic theology, moral theology. You do liturgical theology. You could look at things in terms of ecumenism and, uh, and uh, interfaith dialogue. And so all these things then are distinguished from one another. And, uh, and so this is a part of the challenge because there's been an increase of knowledge. And today there are all sorts of books so there are many, many books, many, many articles, many, many websites, many, many podcasts, all right? So that there's just this great diffusion of information. And then the word information actually literally means informing, you know, um, that you can have this multiplicity and then lose sight of the basic principles. And that's where in terms of that there's a danger today in the uh, breakdown of the theological science that, that uh, people no longer have a sense of the whole, no longer have a sense of God as really, um, as the one who is revealing this to us and that we're completely dependent upon God, right? Because sometimes people may be interested in um, things that they want to produce as opposed to things that they want to receive by faith and then question in terms of seeking. So that's a long answer to your question. It's very helpful. Thank you very much, Father, once again. So we have a question in the chat here uh, from Carol, and she asks, what can you say about what is going on in Germany regarding the cardinal who says we have to change our doctrine about homosexuality? How does this support the idea that theologians need to follow the magisterium? Great, thank you. Right, so uh, the magisterium does not consist of a particular cardinal's uh, answer in an interview. Okay, so I just want, I want us to, to be, because sometimes we, we get confused. If someone is an interview, is not really the full magisterial weight. So then you think about, oh, well, well how can we get solid answers about, say, um, matters of sex? Well, uh, St. John Paul really wanted the Catechism of the Catholic Church to be a particular 
uh, advantage that we would have after the Second Vatican Council, and that at different times, uh, popes have adjusted parts of the catechism because they see the importance of having the catechism, right? So that's where, in terms of the magisterium, that the magisterium has particular statements, and we can go back to the magisterium and, and see, okay, is this true or is this false? Okay, is this true or is this false? And then to be able to discuss it, right? So I think that in terms of the freedom to be able to discuss things, Pope Francis wants us to be able to discuss um, these important matters. And, uh, and so in terms of, of changing the doctrine about homosexuality, um, then you just think about what are the ramifications of this? And then why? Um, did God reveal something new? Okay, so this is where in terms of, of going back to God, it's not an opinion poll. Theology is not a matter of opinion polls. And, and actually, you know, that you just think about how at different times, uh, people uh, who are individual theologians have taught wrongly. Bishops at some times have taught wrongly, right? So St. Jerome said after a particular council in the fourth century, that the whole world groaned because it woke up Arian, right? So, so even particular synods in church history were actually not uh, communicating the truth of the faith. And if you go back to the fourth century, you would find several different councils or synods that are not actually a part of the magisterium of the Catholic Church because the magisterium of the Catholic Church said that those synods of the past were not true. So, so that's where in terms of just thinking about, uh, about uh, what is at stake here and to be able to, to ask questions and to be able to have the freedom to discuss particular matters, but it's not simply who says what, unless it's really God. And then in terms of the magisterium, uh, you know, in terms of things that are really magisterial, but I'm sorry, I just don't think a bishop in an interview is uh, necessarily teaching magisterial teaching. Hi, I, I really appreciate the talk. Um, it's very enlightening and thank you very much. Um, my, my question has to do a bit more about trying to understand theology as a science um, given this idea of truth and falsity and the principle of believing. And I wonder, how does that differ then from an Aristotelian science that seems to have its truth based off of not believing, but a demonstration, or then even a Baconian science, which rewrites the organon, the new organon, with a different idea of causality, of course. But the, I wonder, once again, I, I, I see where this is going, but I wonder if that resting on belief as compared to demonstration makes these somewhat different sciences. So thank you very much for uh, everything you've done tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. That's an excellent question. And St. Thomas is one who has to make certain distinctions about belief, because in terms of, of opinion, and we say this all the time, well, I believe it's so, meaning I'm not quite sure. Um, but, uh, and then how knowledge is not just simply a matter of belief. So if you're working with a science, we want to know in terms of demonstration, what was demonstrated? Okay, what are the principles of demonstration? St. Thomas says that when you're working with all other sciences, that the argument of authority is the weakest. Okay, so-and-so says it. Who cares? Is this demonstrated or not? Okay, the person may be, you know, have a great name, but is it demonstrated or not? In theology, when God says it, that's actually the highest authority. And so this is where, in terms of starting with, you know, 
Now, no one can believe without first making an act of knowledge, right? So sometimes people will say, well, faith is for those who um, don't really know. Actually, the only reason why you can believe something is because you know something. So uh, uh, pigs, squirrels, trees, lamps, they don't know anything. And they're uh, in, the, in the technical sense of, of, a, of a human knowledge. And they're not believing. So believing is precisely for a rational creature, a human being. And so you have to know in order to make an act of faith. And then when we come to distinguish the sacred science um, uh, that is dependent upon revelation, though our claim is that we didn't make this up and that God is the one who is the authority who has revealed it to us and that we have a gift from God. And we pray that other people may enjoy this gift. And so, uh, so that's where in terms of when there are objections to things about matters of faith, don't try to prove matters of faith to those who, uh, who um, don't accept principles of, of the faith, but you can answer their objections by clearing away certain obstacles and to be able to say that those objections are not, um, are not going to overpower it, all right? But you cannot, you cannot demonstrate the first principles of any science. I mean, in terms of the, you know, the, the very first principles, they're, they're in a sense given or inherent or, or they're borrowed from another. And so that's the claim about this particular science of theology. And then how we just need to be able to distinguish, oh, then um, we believe in order to understand. And then in terms of getting people invited to see from our point of view, you know, actually from God's point of view that he shares with us, that, uh, that there is a truth that then once it then radiates upon the world, oh, we see everything in a new light. So thank you very much.